0: And joining me now is Angie Barker from the Newbegin Community Trust and uh, you've been on stage giving some inspiration to people. Tell us a little bit about your story.
1: Um, Yes, well we're basically a a local embedded charity in Winston Green and it started with a group of parents from the local school where I was a chaplain Um, Looking at what are com- some of the issues in our neighbourhood and feeling really frustrated by lack of resources that we had, so we started to ask, well, we're the people in this neighbourhood, and we think the people with the problems are the best people to solve those problems. And that's so, a good
0: local trust principle that you're yeah, using. Yeah, that's there. right. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and then we like, what is it that we have in our hand that we can do ourselves? So, so when we first started this adventure, when I first moved to Winston Green and made it my home, it was just on the back of um, a horrible show that had gone to air called Benefit Street. And it had really um, stigmatised Winston Green. So we thought, what can we do to make this place known for something really fun and really amazing rather than something so negative? Also, it's known because of the prison right in the middle as well. So when people would say, oh, Winston Green, they'd say, oh, the prison. So we're like, how can we make the good side of Winston Green really shine? So we um, originally wanted sheep. And my boss at the time said I couldn't have sheep <laughs> because um, there's lots of rules and regulations around having sheep. And so I went online and looked at what animals are there no rules and regulations about. And apparently there's no rules about having urban alpacas. Okay. And so we bought two alpacas. We didn't know much about alpacas at the time, but there was Google and YouTube. yeah, And we just learned as we went. And we started with just walking the alpacas to the school each day and then walking them home. And So then, you what,
0: like, like you'd walk the dog?
1: Yes, walking the, yeah, yep took us a bit to train them because uh, they saw us coming and we bought older alpacas that had never been trained. Right. And we've since learnt that if you start with them young, you yeah. actually it's much easier. So yeah, so we have them on a lead and we just walk them up the road and we start to get kids and families joining us and then over time the kids who were seeing the alpacas at their school wanted to come and walk them home and that right. started to bring the parents with them and yeah. and that eventually ended up becoming a community meal. One community meal a week became two community meals and... And those meals continue today.
0: And that was really just around just trying to get the community together, give them a reason to come together, yep. even if it was a rather bizarre one, and that opens yep. up the conversations.
1: That's right, and, and we still do it today. You can still see our alpacas either on our front lawn or on the <laughs> school field. And as we've got busy, we don't do as much walking to and from school, but some of the teachers do that now. And so I think next week they're being walked to a different school up the main road. So they're quite known in the community.
0: At the heart of it then, as you were saying there, it's about trying to get the resident voice out so that residents are getting things changed in their community that they want as opposed to outsiders coming in and telling them this is what you need.
1: Yeah, and so we were quite frustrated over the years about um, consultations coming in telling the community what we may want to have, things like a litter pick, rather than what we saw the issue was is landlords who are renting properties to people who don't have cars, who are new to the country, and leaving rubbish in those properties. So obviously then those families would put the dirty stained mattress out on the footpath because they had no way of disposing of it and then the others would think, oh, it's these migrants, it's uh, fly tipping. But actually it's the landlords who have been paid the money to... to um, yeah. rent the property, should be leaving properties in better condition. So we started asking those why questions. And Bishop Desmond Tutu talks about, um, as charities so often, charities and churches, we are rescuing people who are drowning in the river and we need to do that. But we also need to go upstream and see who's pushing them in and try to address that. And so as a charity, we're really committed as a neighbourhood to working with anyone and everyone from within the neighbourhood, whatever idea a neighbour has or need they present, let's see how we can respond together. And the role of the charity is to create the scaffolding around those ideas to help risk assess them, make them a little bit more legal perhaps and uh, sustainable. But really all of the programs are owned and run by the neighbourhood and are driven by the needs that arise. And our neighbourhood's changing really rapidly all the time and so as a small charity we can pivot and change what we do really quickly
0: and you're very faith motivated that's your background as you've said Uh, and and but that's not it's not narrow to people of faith is it it's it's just that's your motivation in order to engage people across the community a very practical way of supporting people
1: yeah, so for me, people often say, well, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years in three different countries. Before we moved to the UK, we lived in a slum community in Thailand, 100,000 people in about one square mile in tin shacks crammed together. Our daughter was five when we moved there and our um, son was born there. And so we saw lots of need there. And I remember thinking when we were coming to the UK, oh, how am I going to cope with first world problems? And within about six weeks of being in Birmingham, I was shocked by the poverty I was seeing and, and so we thought, how can we be part of changing our own neighbourhood? And, and so my faith is what motivates and keeps me going. But we work with people of all faith, um, people of no faith, and it's about loving people. It's not a, um, a theoretical thing. It's just neighbours to coming together, trying to do good things and seeing each person live out their dreams. And if there's any way we can help someone live out their dreams and use the gifts that God's given them, that, that's our role.
0: And what sort of impact has the com- pandemic had on, on your work and people around the area? You must have seen a lot of grief and loss.
1: Yeah, I mean, for us, we've actually seen people die of other things, not of COVID. And uh, it, it, in in our community, there was quite a lot of COVID skepticism and anti vaxxing kind of views. And um, but over time, we saw people drinking themselves to death. And I'm a, a minister, and I think I, one, I decided to register my. Ministerial training in this country as a URC minister. And I think in my first week I was at the morgue, I was at hospital, we've done a couple of funerals, and people have died of things that would be missed. On Wednesday we buried a 34 year old lady who left behind three small children who had esophageal cancer that wasn't picked up. And by the time it was picked up, it was all through her body. And so we've seen those tragedies people dying of loneliness, people trying to take their lives, and obviously a huge rise in addictions. Um, We feel really frustrated that prior to the lockdown we were making real headway in social cohesion and seeing people really start to um, reduce their use of of substances and then lockdown has just sort of kicked us back to square one. But the difference coming out of lockdown is that we're quite a strong community where people know each other now and, and so it's made it easier to start tracking back in the right direction.